The scripture reading for today comes from Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15, and chapter 7, verses 1 and 54 through 60. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, Are these things so? Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Andy, and I have the privilege of being a part of uh, the preaching team here at Hope. Uh, some of you have questions about that. Sometimes, some of you don't understand like what, like how I, what my role is here and things like that. Sometimes you think I'm on staff, or sometimes you think I'm an elder here. I'm actually neither of those things. Um, and you're like, well, why are you preaching here then? Well, uh, well, my family and I have been worshiping here uh, for a little over two years now, and this is our church family. And uh, I am an ordained pastor in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church and other denominations. So um, I love to preach and teach, uh, and so I'm thankful for the gift to be able to do it. Um, and if I haven't met you yet, would love to meet you. Uh, after the service, um, so come and see me. Okay, so Harrison last week, uh, he took us through the beginning of Acts 6, and we saw uh, for the first time some trouble within the people of Christ, within the followers of Christ. Remember, some widows weren't getting what they needed as far as food, and so uh, the church, the, the Lord, moved through his people, uh, through the apostles, to appoint the first ever deacons to care for the physical needs of the body. So, out of some strife and some hardship, an important provision for God's people was created. Uh, and that's a great thing that the Lord does in the midst of us, right? Even when there's things happening within our, our family, our church family, uh, the Lord provides and helps us get the things that we need. So he did that then. Well, now in our passage today, there's more trouble coming from outside believers in Christ. 
So it's similar to Acts 4, which I actually preached on at the end of January uh, with Peter and John before the council. Uh, There's kind of some same things going on here with Stephen before the council. Uh, And in Acts 4, remember, that was the first ever persecution that the church had experienced. And now, today, uh, sadly, we're seeing the first execution of a Christ follower. So that's where we're going to be today in Acts 7. Now, just to give some clarity, so the scripture reading was from the end of Acts 6, and then uh, the next one was from the end of Acts 7. So there's like all of Stephen's speech in the middle there, okay? So we didn't read that whole thing, but we are going to go to that. So I would encourage you uh, to get out your Bibles, to get it out on your phone, just to make sure you can see what's in Acts 7, because it's really important for what happens before and after. Okay, so we're going to be in that too. Let's pray together. Lord, it is uh, only by your Spirit and your power that we can be changed, that we can understand, that we can be like you, Jesus. Uh, So I pray that you would do work in us this morning. Uh, Help us to see your work in us. Give us hope. Lord, help us to see your work in others and help us to encourage them and build them up by sharing with them how we see you at work in them. So work in us today, Spirit. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So the the big thing that happens here, as Stephen is functioning as a deacon, right? He was appointed as one of the deacons. And we saw at the beginning, he is ministering as a deacon. He's full of grace and power. He's doing great wonders and signs among the people. So, something that commonly happens, the council, other authorities, Jewish authorities, other Jews see this and they react to it. And so, one of the big things that they do is they have an accusation towards him. And we see this in uh, 6, 13, and 14. So, they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So essentially break that down, that accusation down into two things. He speaks against the temple and desires its destruction, and he speaks against the law and customs that Moses gave. So he speaks against Moses. That's a pretty serious accusation. Now remember, they they brought false witnesses to say these things. And ironically, the very thing that the false witnesses bring end up backfiring against the council. And we're going to see that in Stephen's speech. So it's an amazing thing uh, that Stephen, like under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what he says that kind of debunks the whole accusation. But surrounding this accusation, we see two ultimate reactions to the Lord. We see uh, a spirit or a reaction that resists and refuses and rejects him. And we see another reaction that's more about submitting to, trusting in, finding peace in the Lord. Okay, so we have those two kinds of reactions that are on display. So we're going to look at this passage and look at his speech in light of those two responses. 
And I just want to tell you and encourage you with uh, these speeches or these sermons and acts, these things are pure gold, everybody, okay? Just pure gold. Because you have these people under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit making connections, Old Testament to New Testament, and bringing things together, which is huge for us in our understanding of Scripture, gaining confidence in God's Word. So whenever you see these connections of this is why these things were taking place back here in the Old Testament and it's connecting to Christ now, oh man, just drink those in. Drink them in. They're pure gold. So that's what Stephen's doing here. All right, so first we're going to look at this spirit of resisting and refusing throughout his speech and other parts. So first in uh, Acts 6-9, we see words like, they rose up and disputed with Stephen. So remember the evidence that Stephen was giving. It was all these things that pointed to God's power and pointed to the Lord. But they rose up and disputed with that. So a spirit that refuses and rejects and goes against the Lord is going to dispute against the evidence of him. So they rose up and disputed with him. In verse 11, they secretly instigated. So they were secretly doing things to go against the evidence of the Lord and what he was at work in. And in verse 13, like we saw, he set up, they set up false witnesses to go against what the Lord was doing. And then uh, in verse 9 of chapter 7, okay, so this is where we get into some of the speech here. And Stephen's speech is really just, he's responding to the accusation. So he just starts to take them through Israel's history. And like, I'm sure these guys are like, look, we know all this stuff already. Why are you telling us this stuff? But he is taking, he is applying the history of Israel in a different way than what they would like that to be applied. But it's the accurate way that indicts them, essentially. So, in 9, so he starts out, first of all, with uh, the patriarchs and Abraham. And then in verse 9, he says, And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. So even just that phrase, the jealous of Joseph, there's a sense of jealousy that they had toward the power that God was doing through others. So you're going to see there's all these connections with how people reacted to other people in the Old Testament, and he's connecting their reactions to how they're reacting today. What's going on with them? So they were jealous of Joseph. So he makes this first connection between the patriarchs and the council. Jealous of Jesus, jealous of other movements that gain people to a cause other than theirs. And we'll see later on, jealous of the one that God appoints to save. God appoints different people to save and to bring his message. And there's this clear history of being jealous towards them. Okay, now in, uh, the, I'm going to read two sections of his, speeches, of his speech because they're really important for us. So uh, I'm going to read 23 through 29 first. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart, so this is talking about Moses, came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. 
And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. So here's more indications of a spirit of refusing and rejecting the Lord. So in verse 25 of that part I just read, they did not understand. So God had sent someone to begin to save them by his hand, but they didn't notice it. They didn't understand. And so a spirit of rejecting and resisting the Lord is going to have a hard time seeing and understanding the ways by which he's trying to deliver and save. In verse 26, as they were quarreling, so these two uh, Hebrews, they, were, they had a spirit of quarreling in them. So Moses was coming to help them in their spirit of quarreling. That's also an indication of a spirit that's refusing and rejecting of the Lord. We will have a spirit of quarreling in us. In verse 27, the man thrust him aside and said, who made you ruler and judge over us? What a, what a uh, striking phrase, thrust him aside. And we're going to come back to that a little bit more later on. Now in verses 35 through 41, I'm going to read that. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs. See that pointing back? The Lord was showing wonders and signs through Stephen. Okay. Performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses, who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the work of their hands. So we see these phrases, whom they rejected, who made you ruler and judge over us in verse 35. In verse 39, refused to obey, thrust aside, in their hearts turned to Egypt. When we have a spirit of rejection and refusing towards God, when anyone does, we would rather turn to the very things that enslave us. We see that as more valuable and better than actually turning and submitting and trusting in the Lord. In verse 40, they created idols for their hearts to worship. And that's also in, uh, alluded to in verse 43 as well. In verse 41, they rejoiced in the work of their hands. They wanted to give themselves glory 
ultimately, rather than noticing the work of God and giving Him glory. And then there's this uh, really striking set. It's like, uh, so this is in verse 51, uh, in our exact passage that's in your bulletin. Stephen just lets loose on a whole bunch of things here. And sometimes, I mean, this is true, like the Lord can inspire us and lead us to spout some fire, okay? Because truth is fire sometimes. And so Stephen's got some fire going here. He says, you stiff-necked people, stiff-necked, which essentially means stubborn towards God. Like you're just, you know, you're, you're tightening up and you're not going to go with the Lord, right? Stiff-necked. Stubborn towards God. And he says, uncircumcised in your heart. You, so essentially you do things outside yourself that make you appear you love God, but inside you truly don't know and love him. Your heart is not circumcised. You've only done it on the outside. You resist the Holy Spirit. And this is really interesting in verse 51. After he says you resist the Holy Spirit, he switches. The whole time he's been saying, our fathers. And you see that that phrase over and over and over again. Our fathers did this. Our fathers did that in the past. Now he switches to your fathers. He says, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. So now he's switched the narrative to say, I'm not aligning myself with you and your spirit that you have that shares with the spirit of of these fathers. Then just think about these other words that he says. Kill, betray, murder, this is all in this passage at the end of 7. Kill, betray, murder, enraged toward, grind your teeth at, cast out, stone. All these things are being applied to Christ and all who have his spirit in them. It's meant to be this direct connection. All these things that they're doing, they're doing towards Christ and those who have his spirit in them. So let's go back, ultimately, and this is, like I said, this is a powerful phrase. Let's just go back and think about this this idea of thrusting aside the Lord and those who have his spirit in them. Thrusting aside. The same way they thrusted aside Moses, they have done to Christ himself. Now, we can't sit here and point our finger at them and be like, yeah, those terrible Jewish leaders always thrusting aside Christ and everything like that. Can't just point our finger at them uh, because we do it too. We do it too. That's what sin is. That's what the the ultimate source of sin is. We're ready to thrust aside the Lord and his ways, saying, get out of my way. I want to do it my way. Thrusting aside. One of uh, the classic stories in our family about me in my younger years thrusting the Lord aside. Um, one time went on a vacation with my, I can't remember if I told this story here or not. So if it's repeat, sorry. Um, went on vacation. I was, in, I was like 9, 10, 11 years old or something like that. We were in Florida. 
and we go to this gift shop, okay? And I had a girlfriend in whatever, third, fourth, fifth grade, wherever it was. Okay, I had a girlfriend. Wanted to get her a present. I didn't have any money. Okay, I didn't have any money. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm gonna, I, I wanted to steal something, okay? Because I didn't, I didn't have any way to get it for her, okay? Now, my mom was with me. You know, they were in another part of the store. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to find something for her, and I'm going to take it. So I look around, and I find these parrot earrings, okay? Big parrots, big parrot earrings. And I'm thinking she's going to like it, okay? This, this is another reason why when you have a spirit against the Lord, you make dumb decisions, okay? You make dumb decisions, like gigantic parrot earrings that you think your elementary-aged girlfriend's going to like. Um, so I go to try to take them, okay? I put them in my pocket, and then I see that there's this older woman going to tell the cashier something, and I see the response of the cashier like, oh. So I'm thinking, I think she just told her that she saw me steal these earrings. So then I go to the back of the store, okay, and I'm trying to get the parrot earrings out of my pocket, but the hoops on them are so big that they're stuck in my pocket, so I can't get them out. I get one out, and I kind of like throw it up on this shelf like behind, and so this, the lady finally finds me, and I still got one of the parrot earrings in my pockets. So she says, empty out your pockets, and she was like, I know you took something, so I get it out. I hand it to her, and she says, are your parents here with you? And of course, they were there. I said, no, they aren't. <laughs> okay, so I, get the, I give it to her. She says, I don't want you to ever come in here again. Now, that was God's grace at some level, even though it probably would have been better if I would have just gotten, like, fully caught, you know. Um, but essentially, in that moment, I make a decision even though I know what's right, I know what God's ways are, right? And I, I, I could have done it differently. I could have gone to my mom and said, hey, mom, can I have some money to get my girlfriend a gift? You know, um, can I, you know, whatever. There were other ways to do it. Can I do something to earn money so that then, can I get these today and then do something to earn money? I, there were all these ways I could have done it. But I was thrusting God's ways to the side. I was thrusting the Lord to the side. And I said, I'm going to do it my way. And ultimately, this was part of how I came to Christ, like the things that the Lord uh, convicted me of when the gospel became real to me. I knew, I knew a, a handful of things about myself and why I needed Christ's death on the cross for me. I knew I had a dirty mouth. I knew that I was lying and hiding things from my parents. And I knew I was a thief, okay? So there was a sense in which it was... This was part of the picture of how the Lord convicted me. Uh, and I knew I needed Christ's death on the cross to pay for those sins. Uh, at the very least, it was those things of why I needed Christ. So, thrusting him to the side. And this can play out too in, in a heated argument with a spouse. Um, in that moment when we're, we're disagreeing about something, right? We can, we have lots of choices to make in that time of disagreeing about something, right? And uh, sometimes we make that choice 
in that moment to say the stabbing thing, right? To say the thing that's going to pierce someone, hurt their feelings, get us a point for the win, whatever it is. We choose to say that thing. And in that moment, we thrust aside the Lord and we say, I'm going to handle this my way. So instead of being quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger, we choose to go a different way. Maybe someone has caused you pain. And even though you've been wronged, and, and there's a sense of being tired and worn out by that pain, we can still thrust the Lord to the side in how we choose to deal with that pain, how we choose to react to that pain. And we choose to react in our own way that would not be Christ-like. So when we see these things in Scripture, when we see this picture of thrusting the Lord to the side, resisting Him, refusing Him, all these things, we have to ask ourselves, how are, how are we doing that? How am I doing that? How am I thrusting him to the side? Well, there's, there's good news. We can be changed. The Holy Spirit can give us a different kind of spirit and a different kind of will, right? And we see that in Stephen. And I'm just going to go through some quick hits here of evidence of this spirit of submission and trust and love for Christ. In verse 8 of chapter 6, we see that he's full of grace and power, doing great signs and wonders among the people. We're not going to be gracious without the Spirit of the Lord. Or not. Stephen was full of grace. In verse 10, they couldn't withstand the wisdom and spirit with which he was speaking. We're not going to be truly wise in this world apart from the Spirit of God. We're just not. And there was even an outward expression of the Spirit inside of him. In verse 15, it says, his face was like an angel. There's an outward expression of that spirit inside. Now as we get into chapter 7 and, and his speech about the way Moses was, and how, remember he makes the connection between Moses and Christ, right? And the other prophets. So in verse 23, Moses had a heart to visit his brothers. He was ready to defend the oppressed in verse 24, in verse 25, he was ready to share with them the salvation that he was bringing, just like we can share the salvation found in Christ, give them salvation. In verse 26, seeking reconciliation, it talks about reconciling. He wants to reconcile his brothers. He tried to. And we can seek reconciliation with others and help others to find it between, the two, between them. In verse 34, uh, we see that he brings deliverance. Uh, so we can seek to bring the message of God's deliverance to people. In verse 36, the signs and, and wonders uh, 
Let me see. Is that verse 36? Yeah, I just want to make sure. Uh, yeah, signs and wonders. We can show people life that shows the wonders of God's salvation he has given us. In verse 37, deliver a message that points people to Christ. Moses pointing ahead to another coming. He's saying, there's one that's going to come, that's a prophet like me that's going to come and deliver you. And then in verse 50, we see that there's a rejoicing. Stephen has a, uh, the, the um, part that he, he quotes from there which is uh, Isaiah 66. You know, the Lord's drawing attention to, did, my hand, did not my hand make all these things? Because he's saying, I don't need a building to be worshipped in. And he said, my hand has made all these things. You, I can be worshipped anywhere. A, a building can't contain me. And so there's a sense in which there's a rejoicing in the worship of God according to how he says to worship him. Verse 55, look for and see God's glory and worship him. Verse 59, uh, this is where Stephen is um, being stoned. And just look at his response. And this should, these should be very familiar words to us. He's yielding his spirit to Jesus. And friends, that kind of response is not going to come from us unless we've already been yielding our spirit to Jesus in life. And now Stephen is yielding his spirit to Jesus even in death. And then in verse 60, and by the way, sorry, Psalm, uh, we, we see Jesus essentially, he yields his spirit to the Father. And he's quoting Psalm 31 in that way. So Stephen does the same thing. So spirit of Christ is clearly in spirit of in Stephen, right? And then in verse 60, he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Same thing as Christ. The spirit of Christ is clearly in Stephen. We are not going to be able to forgive others even the most heinous acts against him. They're trying to kill, they're killing him. Even the most heinous acts against us, we're not going to be able to forgive unless we're submitting to and trusting Christ. Um, I want to uh, tell you that over the course of our marriage, mine and Jody's marriage, We've had many disagreements. Anybody here ever had a disagreement in their marriage? There's hardly any hands up. We must be alone. We must be alone in this. Um, and one of the things that I love to see that, the work, that God's work has been going on in our lives is that how we disagree and how we work through those things is different than the way it used to be and like Jody she is so much quicker to forgive me she doesn't take offense at me as easily even though I'm very offensive at times um, she doesn't 
she doesn't carry and hold things as tightly as what she used to. And I, I put myself in these categories too, but I'm just talking about the spirit of Christ in my wife and the change over time. I mean, I remember there were times where we wouldn't even talk like all day long or multiple days like because of something that was going on between us. And now it's like we move on, not in like an unhealthy way, but like we're ready to set that to the side and be done. And the spirit of Christ changing her, and it's not like it's just come in a vacuum either, like without other things that the Lord's been doing in her. Like she's, you know, in the word daily, uh, journaling, uh, you know, praying to the Lord daily, seeking to be sharpened by other believers. She loves to worship the Lord. She loves having songs that remind her of who God is and what he's done for her. Like, she loves these things. And so you're talking about, you know, two decades of that stuff going on and then what that yields today, a difference and I'm so thankful for the Spirit of Christ uh, working in my wife. And we talk about wanting to bring shalom. We have much more shalom in our disagreements now because of the Spirit of Christ and her submission and her trusting in that. And that has been a tremendous gift to me. And it really does come down to who Christ is and what he's done. And Michael uh, quoted from this earlier. I'm just going to read it to close our time. It is amazing that our God and Savior is so humble. It doesn't make any sense that the God of the universe would be so humble. But in Philippians 2, it says this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's submit and trust in the Lord Jesus. Let's welcome him. Let's seek after him. And we'll see great changes of things in us over time. Amen? Amen.